introduce the theme to you by sharing the story with you. And there was a big state dinner that was taking place in Washington, D.C. All the big wigs were going to be there, leaders, ambassadors, high-ranking high military officials. And it, it was a dinner that was put on for people of many nations to come together. And so all the tables, this beautiful banquet hall, all the tables were set up just beautifully and little name tags at each, at each uh, seat so you knew where you're sitting and they, they diversified who was going to be at what table so nations were mixing with nations. And this one particular table, uh, there was this Asian gentleman that was sitting at the table and, and this American leader walks up to the table and thinks to himself, well, I'm going to help this guy out. And so he looked at the place setting and he said, this be forky. This be spoony, and this be knifey. And the gentleman just looked at him and smiled, didn't say a word, and they went on with the evening. And the preliminary speakers got up there and shared their short talks and so on and so forth, and it came time for the keynote address to come. And to the American surprise, the Asian gentleman got up on stage and delivered the keynote address in flawless English. And he walked back to the table and he looked at the, the American and he said, did you like ye speechy? <laughs> now I hope that story's untrue just like you do because it's offensive. But it sets up our theme today very well for us. The theme today is judgment. Passing judgment. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. And we do it for many different reasons. Sometimes we pass crazy, irreverent judgment on people because of the color of their skin or their origin. Sometimes we pass judgment on people because of the way that they dress or the, the way that they speak or whether we think they're educated or uneducated. Sometimes we pass judgment on people because we think that the decisions that they've made in life have made their bed for them and so we have the right to judge their situation and circumstance in life. Sometimes we pass judgment in person, and sometimes in our day and age, we pass judgment online. Have you ever noticed that for whatever reason, we think that we can say the most hateful things on the internet that we would never say to somebody's face in person? Sometimes judgment that we pass is based on truth. Sometimes it's based not in truth. Sometimes our judgment is corrective, sometimes it's criticizing, and sometimes our judgment is just outright corrosive. We've all done it. And so I thought we should see what the Bible has to say about judgment. So I want to begin by reading just two verses to you, at least one of them you've probably heard often. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just, just want to start with two verses. One is a statement out of Jesus' mouth, and one is a statement out of the Apostle Paul's mouth. Judgment. This is what Jesus says. Judge not, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Or for those that like the King James in the house, thou shalt not judge, lest ye be judged. And that's the one we've heard, thou shalt not judge. 
lest ye be judged. That's Jesus's commandment to us. Now, uh, if you hang a right in your Bible a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus says, thou shalt not judge, or you will be judged. And Paul writes this in his letter to the church in Corinth. I'm going to read 5, verse 12. He says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Speaking about the church specifically. In this case, he's speaking about what do I have to do with judging people that are outside the church or outside of the faith? Not just the four walls but outside the family of faith. What do I have to do with judging them? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Here we have Jesus saying, thou shalt not judge, or you, you, you yourself will be judged. And, and we have Paul saying, is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? And so I think that we need the help of the Holy Spirit to uh, illuminate this for us. And so would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you're here with us right now. We thank you that your word is perfect, that your truth is, uh, is for us, that your spirit is here now and that you can fill this time and the space. You can fill even my mouth and my words that, that what I say right now would come from you. God, we pray, let these words, whatever is spoken, whatever is heard, let it be from you. If anything's from me, just let it fall to the ground. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, whether it feels good or it's, it's hard to hear, whether it's corrective or encouraging, we ask you, Holy Spirit, whatever it is that you wanna say to us, would you say it? In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm a 90s kid. Um, I grew up in the 90s. It's a fun time to grow up. Uh, my childhood was filled with many, many episodes of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I had posters of Zach Morris on my wall. And uh, I had the first regular Nintendo. And I played many, many hours of Super Mario, stomping on Bowser's head. Duck hunt, anybody? Come on now. Raise your hand if you ever played duck hunt before. I just want to see. Okay, phenomenal game. How about 007 Goldeneye? <laughs> One of the greatest games ever. <laughs> the 90s. Man, you, you younger millennials think you have internet problems? You don't know internet problems. Come on, dial up. We just trying to get one song to play after two hours of download, like, the 90s, it's a fun time. I remember 1999. You remember New Year's Eve 1999? Woo! Thought everything was gonna die. I mean, we thought it was it. It was like Independence Day. Come on, look. Things were different back in the 90s. The clothes back in the 90s, like baggy jeans, People had these ratty old like band t-shirts on, high-waisted mom jeans. Oh wait, it's not that different these days, is it? <laughs> it's all coming back around. <laughs> high-waisted, we, we called those mom jeans and we made fun of them, but now they're cool again, so. Back in the 90s, my musical tastes were varied. Varied. 
I like rap music back in the 90s. No comment on whether I still do or not, but back then I did. Rap was just getting legs under itself and some good rappers that came onto the scene. And one rapper who will remain nameless, on February 13th, 1996, came out with a hit album called All Eyes on Me. And on that album was a track titled, Only God Can Judge Me. Only God, and I don't recommend you listening to that song because I, I actually listened to that song this week in my office and I had to turn the volume down and turn it off because it's inappropriate, but it was a research project. And this rapper, exactly seven months later to the day, was shot and killed. And at that point in his life, or lack thereof in this case, it was only God who was going to judge him. But I just wonder if his opinion was not only God can judge me, but instead, maybe it's only God who can, but it's not only God who should if maybe his life would have gone a different direction. But people have picked up on this theme that he he introduced, and many other people have sung about it and said it. You might have even said the term yourself at some point. And you might have even said it thinking that that it's really rooted in Jesus' words in in Matthew chapter 7, only God can judge me, you shouldn't judge me. Thou shalt not judge me. It's wrong, It's it's a sin to judge. You're a Pharisee if you judge. You're, you're self-righteous if you judge. This is, this is sort of the way that we have, our culture has taught us to believe uh, about judgment. And so I wanna, I wanna tease out the reality of the situation. What is it that judgment actually is? And is it true that, that only God can judge us or that only God should judge us? And so I wanted to, before we, we are going to jump back into the scripture and, and jump into the context of those two passages, because as we know, context is really the king in deciphering what something actually means instead of just pulling out one little verse that's called proof texting. And you can almost make the Bible say whatever you want it to say when you do that. And so we need to look at the actual context. And we're going to do that in a moment, but I just want to define our terms before we jump into it. What, what is judgment? What are, what are the words actually mean? And I want to illustrate it this way. Take money, for example. When you think about not just the word money, but like the whole concept of what money is, money in its essence is an amoral thing. Okay, there is no morality to money at all. It is, it is merely a thing. And money, amoral meaning a lacking of morality. There's, there's nothing that's intrinsically good or bad about money. It's just a thing. But... The way that we use it, the why that we use it, and how we use it makes it either good or bad. You follow? Okay, so let's talk about sex, which we don't talk about sex a lot in church, and I think we should probably start talking about it more, because everybody's thinking about it, and we need to start talking about it, but that's not for today. But but just take... So if money is amoral, neither good nor bad in its essence, it's just, it, it is either good for the good that it can do, or it's bad for the evil that it can do. Sex is something that's given from God 
that is actually in its essence good. God gave it to us. It's a gift. It's a good thing. And it's good in the right context with the right motivation and done in the right way. This good thing that done in the right context with the right why and in the right way continues to be a good, albeit great thing. But sex, a good thing, done in the wrong context, out of the wrong motivation, and in the wrong way, can be a very bad thing. In fact, sex in the wrong context, out of the wrong motivation, and in the wrong way, can be amongst the most evil things that this planet has to offer. I'm personally convinced that sexual sin is amongst the worst sin that we can commit. Why? Because I would rather you murder me than for me to go through what some people on this planet have to go through in regards to sexual sin. So so just track with me that you can take something and you cannot just simply take that thing and say across the board it's either good or bad. Even good things done in the wrong context, with the wrong motivation, in the wrong way, can be very, very evil, but done in the right context, with the right motivation, and in the right way, can be very, very good. So let's apply this to judgment. I can think of at least four different types of judgment that if you and I just adhere to like, judgment is just judgment, it just means one thing, and this is what it is, and you should not judge me, only God could judge me, and judgment is all wrong and all bad, then we're deceiving ourselves because there, it's, it's a varied term. There's different meanings to it. It's like how we use the word love. I love hamburgers and I love my wife. Like, those don't mean the same thing, okay? So I wanna, I wanna just uh, bring to light four different types of judgment that I can think of. There's probably more. First, off, first one is plain and simple judgment, okay? This is the type of judgment that you and I do every day and none of us would argue with it. None of us would say that it's wrong. You woke up this morning and you got in the car and you made a judgment call on which direction you should drive in order to end up here. You're either driving north or south or whatever based on your location. I'm the type of driver that wants to get somewhere as quick as possible, and so I try and make that judgment call in my mind. When I'm driving with my wife sometimes, we sort of just drive around in circles and miss the turns, and like we're talking, and I'm like, you you missed it. And then sometimes I think to myself, like, I wonder what happens to her when I'm not with her. Like, do you just end up on the other side of the lake? And I'm sorry, babe, but it's true. It's true. So we make a judgment call. Like, how how did we get there? You made a judgment call this morning. Should I put clothes on or show up naked? You made the right call. Good for you. You You judged this morning the right way. Okay, so just plain and simple, like decision-making skills. You're, you're making a judgment call, okay? And nobody would disagree. That, that's good. We should judge right and wrong, like just simple decisions. Number two, elected judgment. Okay, so whether it's like the host of The Voice or American Idol game show, whether it's a referee in a basketball game or a football game, whether it's a judge that sits on the stand in the courthouse, we call them judges. It's our expectation, wouldn't you agree, that those people that are put in those positions, we not only allow them, but we expect them to pass judgments. 
Like if the guys on the, and gal on the voice never hit the button, never told anybody that they could or couldn't sing and just let everybody through, then I might even make it through and it'd be a bad day. <laughs> like we expect them to, you know, use their wisdom and their expertise as singers to make a judgment on, on that particular. We expect sports referees to make the right call. We expect the judge sitting on the stand to make a judgment not based on personal opinion, not based on what the, what the person is dressed like or what they smell like, or what they sound like, not based on any of those things, not based on emotions. We expect a judge to make a wise, calculated judgment based on wisdom, experience, and the law in order to produce justice. We would all agree that that's a good type of ju judgment, right? The third type of judgment that I can think of is unhealthy judgment. Oftentimes characterized by self-righteousness. Oftentimes it comes from a place of I think I'm better than you or I think that your sin is worse than my sin or I'm self-righteous. We call that a, a pharisaical spirit which is, often, which is really the, the spirit that Jesus is talking to here, but it's the self-righteous judgment. It's, it's a judgmental judgment, if I could use that word. It comes across and its origins are a negative or unhealthy place within us. Either we think we're better than somebody, or what's interesting to acknowledge is that sometimes the judgment comes not because we actually think we're better than other people, but because we're so insecure about our own lives that we judge people in order to tear them down to our level. It happens on both sides of the spectrum. We've been so hurt in life, people have so hurt us, that now we just angrily judge everybody else because we need them to be in misery like we are. However it comes, or for whatever reason that it comes, there is, we all know, there is very, very unhealthy, detrimental judgment and we've all probably been involved in it. And the fourth one is healthy judgment. People like you and I would probably more likely refer to it as spiritual discernment, using wisdom from on high, making a judgment call based on God's truth, based on God's word, based on knowledge of the truth and a desire to see God's will and God's ways come to fruition on this planet. Now, what's very, very important to remember about healthy judgment is that its origin and its substance comes from a very different place than unhealthy judgment. It has to come from a heart that says, I love you. And like actually mean it, not just say it, but actually mean it. A heart that says, I love you so much that I'm bringing this, this to you, not because I'm self-righteous, not because I'm better than you, because we're all in the same boat here. Like, everybody has their own brand of sin, right? We're, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're, we're deserving of death, every one of us. But, but healthy discernment, healthy judgment, if there is such a thing, comes from a place of, I love you, and I want to see the best for your life. And so it's with those definitions that I'd like to jump back into these passages and see if we can discern exactly what it is that the scripture is teaching us, not only from these two passages, but on the whole. So uh, here, the context of Matthew chapter 7, the, the, the singular verse that we read, 
is, is found right here in the middle of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest recorded uh, sermon all put together. He speaks on many topics at one time, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you, if you were to reread that, which I would encourage you to do, you'd find in chapter 5 what he's doing is addressing these commandments of things that basically you and I should not do. And so he's talking about things like murder and adultery, so on and so forth. But he's bringing clarification, saying, hey, it's not just about the action that you take. It's about the motivation and the heart and, and how you feel on the inside that matters to God, not just what you do on the outside. And so if you remember, he says, listen, you've heard that it was said, do not kill or murder. But I say to you, if even you look at your brother or sister with hate in your heart, it's the same thing as murder. And so he's, he's correcting the way that we think about these subjects. And in chapter 5, it's all about these subjects of things that we're not supposed to do. And he's helping us think about those subjects uh, in a better way that's more, at least equally, about our heart as it is the action. And if you continue reading, you'd notice that in chapter 6, he turns to good things. He starts teaching us on not just commandments of things that we should not do, but he starts teaching us about things that we should do, spiritual discipline even. And I, uh, I sort of alluded to it in the welcome this morning. In chapter 6 and beyond, he starts talking about things like prayer, fasting, giving to the poor. And these are good things. But what he's saying is he's drawing to light our motivation, why we're doing these things. And he's, he's showing us, if you read the text, that the why that you do something is just as important as what you're doing. And so he says, if you stand up and you're praying because you want people to see you and think you're holy, well, that's the reward you're going to get. If, if you give to the needy because you want people to see that you're being generous, well, that's the reward that you're going to get, so on and so forth. He's correcting the motivation. That's the context that we're finding ourselves in for this particular verse. So he goes on, and it turns to, to Matthew chapter 7. And let's pick up again, Matthew 7, verse 1. To repeat, this is what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged. With the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. In the original language, it's actually the same word three times right in a row in three different constructions. It says, with the type of judgment that you judge, you also will be judged. That's what that verse is actually saying. With the kind or the type or the style or the motivation with which you judge, you also will be judged in that way. This is not a new theme for him. Jesus actually speaks to this in other places. This theme of the way that you and I do something for another human being is actually an invitation for the way that God is going to treat us. It's kind of crazy. But if you remember, in, in actually I think it's Matthew 5 or 6, in the Lord's Prayer, he says to us, if you forgive your brother or sister when they sin against you, so will your Father in heaven forgive you. What he's saying is, the way that you dispense forgiveness towards somebody else is the same way that you're going to get it back. For if you forgive them, your Father will forgive you. He says this, but if you do not forgive your brother or sister when they sin against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. The type of forgiveness that you offer is the same type of forgiveness that you will receive. 
that should, that should uh, lead us to view the subject of forgiveness with a very sober view. Personally, that leads me to be highly desirous to be a forgiving person. He goes on to emphasize what he's saying by saying this, with the measure that you use, so will it be measured to you. With the type, the style, the motivation, the why, the measure, the means with which you judge somebody, that's the same way that you will be judged. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? That's the word for actor. The actor. First, take the log out of your own eye so that you will see clearly in order to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice that at no point did he teach us to never help our brother or sister remove the speck from their eye. That's not his teaching. And at times we've, we've turned to this passage and we've used it really in that way. And if anybody comes at us with a critique or a judgment or something, then we just assume you have a log in your eye. You're being a Pharisee. Only God can judge me. Thou shalt not judge. Do you not listen to Jesus? That's not actually the message that he's sending. Why? Because his heart for us is, is love. What his heart for us is that whether you have a speck or a log, that both of us and all of us, would those would be removed from us so that we could all see clearly. He's saying if you have a log or a speck in your own eye, make sure that you're humble enough to receive criticism or the judgment, the discernment that there's something going on in you that you need to grow and see clearly. But I want you to see clearly so you can help people. Because I want my people to see clearly. I don't want even a speck in their eye. But do not judge people in an unhealthy way, out of self-righteousness and superiority. Make sure the measure that you use, the style that you use, the means that you use is correct because it's going to be used for you. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 5. And I don't really have time to read it all, but this is a crazy passage. It's like a soap opera. What's going on, by, by the way, the whole, this whole letter, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe there's even a third letter that we don't have access to, but this whole thing in many ways is, is kind of hard. It's kind of harsh. It's, it is a judgment from a father to, to the sons and daughters of that church correcting many, many issues about what they were doing. It wasn't a self-righteous letter. It wasn't a I'm better than you letter. It was a you're my spiritual children and I care about you so much to bring to light these things that you are doing because they're unhealthy and they're destroying you. And in chapter five, he turns to, to this crazy situation where there's a man who is having sexual relationship with his father's wife. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's like, it's bad enough that this person is having sex with his dad's wife, but worse than that, you guys are seemingly approving of this situation. What is going on with you? And he says, even though I'm absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. 
listen to this. This is crazy. We don't, we don't really talk like this too often in church. It freaks people out. But he says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present, the power of the Lord, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, just so you know, that word flesh is not referring to just like your skin and bones. It's a biblical theme. The word is sarks, and what it refers to is all of the sinful nature. It refers to, uh, you know, evil proclivities, lusts, things that we chase after, basically anything that we would desire to do or do that are opposite of God's will and his way for our life, opposite the kingdom of God. That's what the flesh is. The flesh is the body of sin. It's the drive of humanity. It's, it's those things that lead us further from God. He's saying here, we're going to hand him over to Satan so that his, his flesh would be destroyed, but there's a reason for it. You could go back and look at this later. It's 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. He says, so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. I've pronounced judgment on this person. We've, and what, what even this term means is sort of mystical. I don't know, but he's saying in some way, we're handing him over to the devil so that the sin inside of him would find destruction so that the spirit inside of him would find life. That's the motivation. He goes on to say, I'm not telling you not to, not to, you know, to separate yourself from all of those in the world, for if I were to tell you that, you'd have to separate yourself from everybody, for we do not pass judgment on the people in the world. What do we have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who we are to judge? For us to even read this passage correctly, we have to change, rewire the way that we even think about that word judgment at all because we've been so trained to believe that it's a negative thing. When he's telling us to do it, the only way that he's telling us to do it is in a healthy way, in a healthy context with healthy motivation and in a healthy way. You see, the church was to designed and supposed to be that place of safety. The church is supposed to be family. It's supposed to be a place where when you mess up, the people around you, you know that they have your best interest in mind. It's supposed to be a place where you can, you can figure your way through holiness and sin and walk on this journey together. The context is supposed to be safe. The motivation is supposed to be a motivation of, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Not, I'm better than you. Not, I'm, you're horrible. It's supposed to be a, a, a motivation of, I want your best. And then how we deliver the truth means everything. Let me illustrate it this way. These two things right here are made of the same material. So let's just say for the sake of analogy that, that the metal used in both the knife and the wedding ring, the metal is truth. And we have a responsibility to distribute truth. People need to know the truth in order to be set free. Even though the world is trying to tell us that if we preach truth to them, that we're bigots and that we're evil and that we're full of hate, we actually know that to withhold truth from somebody is the greatest evil that we can do to them. If I don't tell you the truth 
about your eternal destiny if you stay in your sin, I, I, have to, I, I cannot love you and not tell you the truth. So let's just say that we all recognize that we have a, a moral responsibility to distribute truth. And in this situation, metal, truth is, truth is metal in this situation. And so truth, though it might be the same substance, the same formula, the same exact thing can come at us in two different ways. I have truth. And I can give it like this. I could stab you in your back. I can cut you down, whether because I think I'm better than you and your, your poop smells worse than mine does. Your sin is worse than mine. You're so unholy and, and I judge you and I cut you down because I'm, I'm better than you or because I'm so insecure, I want you to feel the pain that I've felt. And so we judge each other and we bring this truth and sometimes it's not even truth at all. And we just stab each other and we hurt each other, we harm each other. This is what our world is doing right now. It's all over social media, it's all over the news, it's all over, if we're not careful, it's even in the church. And we could judge each other in these unhealthy ways and, and deceive ourselves to think that what we're doing is offering truth. but it feels like we're cutting each other down. But the same truth could take a different form and it could feel like this. Same substance, it might be the same truth. I see a fault in you, you see a fault in me and you can come with a knife or you can come with that truth in a different form in a safe context out of the right motivation, the right why, and you could present it in a different way. My brother, I only come to you right now because I love you. I just want you to know I love you. This is why I'm saying this. Would you take it and go to the Holy Spirit and just see if there's any truth to it? I would never bring this up just to tear you down. I love you. I want the best for your life, but I've seen that you're, you're allowing a sin in your life. You're acting in this way. I feel like I've discerned that there's something going on inside your heart that's, that's tearing you apart. I might be noticing a blind spot in your life. We all have blind spots, and they're blind to us because they're blind spots. <laughs> we don't see them all. This is actually God's design. We've been talking a lot about community lately. That for us to to run away from community and be hermits, we're, we're never gonna become the people that, we, that God wants us to become because we need other people to come with, with truth, present it to us in a way that we can receive it. That's what healthy judgment is supposed to be. It's not supposed to come like this or feel like this. If we're doing that, we need to stop. I have, myself in my life, thought that I was being helpful, but it actually felt like this. And you know, when we realize that that's the way that we've come across, we need to be humble and we need to ask for forgiveness. 
And so I guess the application of this message today is, is two things that seem very different from each other, and that I want to encourage both of them. The first is that we would stop judging each other, that we'd stop tearing each other down based on our own, what we prefer, surface-level judgments on somebody's appearance, whether they have tattoos or not, or whether they roll in this circle or that circle, or that we stop judging each other based on things that really don't matter or based on a self-righteous spirit or based on a, I'm better than you. Or that if we recognize inside of us that there's hurt and there's pain and there's insecurity, and we, we realize that the way that that's come out of us is this desire to help have people feel the same way that we felt, that we would just stop doing that, put the knife down. At the same time, the application is that we would start judging each other in this way. Because the devil, he's the author of deception. His only weapon against us is lies and deception. And it is his goal to get our eyes to be covered to not see the truth. And so we should actually be people that desire that somebody would come to us with truth if they see it, that they would come to us if we're faulty or sinning or that we're making a mistake and we're, we're not acknowledging it. See, our design is that first we should just acknowledge our sin, repent, and turn back to God. But oftentimes, because we're deceived or because we're prideful or whatever it is, we're all in the same boat here. We don't immediately uh, repent when something's going wrong in our heart. And so when our brother or sister comes to us, God is using that person to deliver truth to us, not to tear us down, but to help clear our eyes so we can see more clearly. We need to put down the knife and we need to help each other. If we show up like this and the Holy Spirit needs to turn this metal into a scalpel, he can. But it's not our job to cut somebody up. 